invite your attention to Matthew chapter 11. Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Just one passage today, Matthew 11, 6. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Today we're going to be considering the problem of offenses. Offenses. The word offense in the Greek language from which the New Testament is translated is the word scandalon. It's the word our word scandal is derived from, but it's a different meaning. Scandalon has to do with uh, something that was the trigger of a trap or a snare. If you think about you know, stepping on a snare or a trap and something causes that thing to reach out then and grab your clothes on you, uh, that's actually what it referred to. And as such, it came to mean something that causes us to stumble. Uh, trips us up. We're making good progress and suddenly something causes us to trip and fall. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, Jesus said it's impossible but that offenses will come. Don't you notice that? It is impossible but that offenses will come but woe unto him through whom they come. And in referring then to the followers of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, he makes it plain to us that uh, it's possible to be a person who's effectively following him, serving him, living for Jesus as best we can, uh, but then something happens and it causes us maybe to stumble. Something happens that causes us to trip. Though we were making good progress, all of a sudden uh, we're even maybe tempted to stop following him altogether due to some cause or some action of either uh, ourselves through unbelief or of another person maybe that does something in a variety of ways that causes us to stumble, trip up, to be offended. Now, right up front, Jesus said that it's impossible to live without offenses. Impossible. I'd have been a little more comfortable if he'd have said it'd be really hard <laughs> or a little difficult. Uh, impossible. What that means is that offenses are going to happen. Things will happen in your life, they happen in my life, that challenge our faith. Sometimes we'll struggle with temptation and, and even the failure that goes along with it. Sometimes people will do things or don't do things or say things or don't say things. And it's hard for us then to continue to faithfully serve. Sometimes we don't quit, uh, but our heart is wounded. And because of that, our attitude then gets really bad. And maybe then in that situation, we're easily offended. I heard about a mom and her little boy who had gone to church one Sunday, and as they were leaving, walking across the parking lot, she said to her son, Son, did you see the ugly look that usher gave me? And the little boy very innocently said, Mama, he didn't give it to you. You had it when we got here. <laughs> that boy got a switch in, I bet. <laughs> oh. You know, it seems like in our world today, offenses are at an epidemic proportion. Now, the Bible warns us we don't want to be that person who offends. But I think it's also good for us to say that we don't want to be that person who is easily offended. And I'll tell you what, it's an epidemic of that out there. Um, 
can't even begin to talk about uh, all the different ways that people are offended and how quickly and how easily they are offended. And, and sometimes it, it's not just uh, uh, what's going on around them. It's what's going on in their own heart. Our hearts get wounded. Uh, maybe something is going on that we're really not comfortable with. And uh, just all of a sudden, just that quick, offended. But our text this morning is built around a situation that is very clearly identified for us in Scripture when Jesus said, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. You see, he was sending that message to John the Baptist. John had been preaching to thousands of people. He was the first prophet in Israel in over 400 years. His birth was miraculous. He was born to two people that the Bible called well-stricken in years. Uh, that means they were really old. Zacharias and Elizabeth. She had never been able to have children. And while Zacharias, who was a priest, was serving in the temple one day, the angel Gabriel appeared to him, God's messenger, and he said, I've got a message for you. Uh, your wife is going to get pregnant. Y'all are going to have a baby boy. And he gave him specific instructions. He was not to drink wine or strong drink. Uh, he was going to be a man consecrated to the Lord. He was going to be the one, the prophet, uh, that would prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah did something amazing. He looked the angel Gabriel right in the face and say, how can this happen? <laughs> I don't, now I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I don't believe I could look the angel Gabriel in the face and say, you don't know what you're talking about. But that's kind of what Zacharias did. And so as a result of that, the angel Gabriel said, okay, and by the way, you're not going to say another word until after this baby's born. And that's exactly what happened. See, this was not done in a corner. This happened in the temple. Everybody knew that Zacharias had seen an angel. Everybody knew that something had happened to him. Everybody knew uh, that Elizabeth, well stricken in years, was all of a sudden pregnant. All, everybody knew that she gave birth to that child. Everybody knew he was a special man. He was a prophet. The thousands of Israel went out to hear him. Along the way, John the Baptist would identify Jesus as the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John would begin to preach against Herod, who had married his brother's wife, Herodias. It was unlawful then, as it would be today. He was put in prison for his preaching, ultimately beheaded. That story is told in Matthew 14. But at this moment, Matthew chapter 11, God's great champion, magnificent preacher and prophet is languishing in prison. He's listening to the mighty things that Jesus is doing. And he says in verse 2, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now the word for another in this passage is the word heteros, and it means another of a different kind. Are you him that should come? And remember, this is the same one who had said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And now he's asking, Are you the one that should come? Are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Or do we keep on looking for another of a different kind? Now, John, you see, like all of the Old Testament prophets, 
understood that the Messiah was going to come and, and he was going to establish the kingdom of David. And he would sit on the throne of David. And he would overthrow then by necessity the rule of the Romans and of their puppet rulers, uh, the Herods. Uh, perhaps most importantly to John the Baptist, as the Messiah, he was expecting Jesus to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament prophets. Look at Isaiah 42 and 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. It wasn't the only time that promise was made. Isaiah 61, 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound. John the Baptist was languishing in prison. And he asks, are you the coming one or do we keep on looking for another? Jesus would respond in verse 5, Matthew chapter 11. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he points out several things in those prophecies that were on John the Baptist's mind. He talked about how that the blind were seeing. He talked about how the meek, the poor, had the gospel preached unto them. He talked about the magnificent miracles that were being done, even the dead being raised. There was one thing he said nothing about. Nothing about setting the captives free. Nothing about turning the prisoners loose. But it's at that point, then, at the end of that passage, that passage that he said... Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. You see, there are times when we struggle with what God does or what God doesn't do. John the Baptist was not going to be delivered from prison. He was going to die in prison. And though Jesus was indeed the promised one, Jesus was indeed the Messiah, Jesus was indeed fulfilling those prophecies, and he would fulfill this one too. But it wasn't time. It wasn't John the Baptist's time. Now, there's one great thing in this passage that I, I just have to show you, and that is, you know, when John the Baptist came to Jesus with this incredible question, uh, Jesus did not rebuke him. Uh, he did not say, I, I can't believe you're asking me that. John, uh, you of all people, he didn't rebuke him for that. Instead, on the day when John the Baptist said something really bad about Jesus, Jesus said something great about John the Baptist. Verse 10, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before me. Verily I say to you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. 
Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And the word least in this passage is often referred, used to refer to somebody that is younger, somebody that is later or lesser in age. And so what Jesus was saying, the one that John the Baptist was preaching about, he himself, the one who was after him, but that was preferred before him, uh, he was greater. But among those born of women, none greater than John. You see, Jesus knew that John had a legitimate question. In light of what the prophet Isaiah had, had said, uh, this was one of the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. And here John was then languishing in prison. When is it going to be my time? Sometimes, you see, God doesn't do what we think He should do the way that we think He should do it or when. And to that then, Jesus responds, Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. You see, God has made us some magnificent promises as his children. He's promised to heal our disease. But maybe he hasn't healed yours. He revealed himself as, as the God who heals God has promised to provide for our needs. Our God shall provide all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But some of you maybe still have a whole lot of month left at the end of the bills. And uh, you're struggling then trying to make ends meet. God promises to deliver us from temptation. Maybe that sin you've uh, struggled with maybe for years is still plaguing you. God has promised that his burden is light. But sometimes... You struggle just to keep going and keep serving. The list goes on and on. God doesn't always do what we think he should do. Though he has promised things to us, maybe we don't see those promises being fulfilled the way we want him to fulfill them or when. So there are times... Maybe when offenses come, when they shouldn't come. The Bible warns us not to be the offender. That's very important. But this morning we're going to be talking about those times when we are tempted maybe, and maybe sometimes are, offended by the way God is doing His work. If God offends us. Now, the first thing we, we need to understand about this is that if, if God offends us, he knows it. It does us no good to say, oh, I'm not offended. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and God knows it. If you're troubled by something God does or doesn't do or the way he's doing it, God knows it. If you're struggling, if you're tempted to quit, if you're asking yourself what good is it to serve him, God knows it. Don't deny it. But instead, we can look at a chapter, and we're going to spend some time in John chapter 16 this morning. If you want to turn over there and read along with me, you can, or you can just follow along uh, up top. Uh, These things Jesus said, John 16 and 1, uh, I have spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Uh, this was the night before Jesus died. 
And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, another thing he said that night was, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And you say, now which one of those did Jesus mean? He meant both of them. All of you are going to be offended. But I'm writing these things to you. I'm speaking these things to you so that you should not be offended. <laughs> Remember that there is no temptation that ever takes us, but such as is common to man, the Bible says. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able to bear, but he will with the temptation also make a means of escape. God is faithful to do that. And so even while he says to the disciples, you are all going to be offended, but yet he is telling them some things that would keep them from being offended. That tells me a couple of things this morning. Number one was that, uh, yes, they were going to be offended, but their failure was not going to be final. Jesus said it's impossible <laughs> but that you shall be offended, and that means it's going to happen to you and me. But when we stumble, when we fall, we don't have to sit on our hind end until Jesus comes. Okay, we've fallen. Get up. You can get up and keep going. These disciples would all fail. They'd all fall. They didn't have to stay there because he was writing to them some things that were going to help them, and they'll help us too. To get past those times when we're feeling like giving up. Past those times when we're offended by something someone says or something someone does or something someone doesn't do. When we're offended because of the way God is working or the way God is not working. There's some things in this passage, John chapter 16, that Jesus has put down that will help us. Right up front, he tells us, number one, expect opposition. Expect opposition. These are things that he writes to us so that we would not be offended. Number one, expect opposition. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Let's get it down in our program, friend. Uh, this is not some fine print that Jesus left in our contract. He puts it right up front. Right up front. The day is going to come when people will try to kill you thinking they're serving me. We are living in that day. And in fact, it has been that day ever since Jesus was here. There have been people who killed out and tried to kill, persecuted the followers of Jesus Christ, thinking they were serving God by killing Christians. We live in that day today. We've lived in it ever since. Now, sometimes you and I might feel like we're being a little bit picked on, a little persecuted. Things aren't going our way just right. We need to check our face because not many of us have had our bones broken, nose blasted, eyes knocked out teeth gabs out by people throwing rocks at us and beating us down. We don't have a lot of scars on our backs from the lashes and whips. Think about it. Think about it. Our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all these many centuries have resisted unto blood, suffered and bled and yes, died for the cause of Christ. Now I'll grant you some of the things that people say sometimes are very hurtful. And they can create scars that are just as real as the scars that have been in our flesh. But let's just understand, Jesus did not leave us to wonder about it. 
you are going to face opposition. Expect it. We can also understand that the most hurtful things that are done to us who serve the Lord are often done by people who think they're serving the Lord or who claim to be serving the Lord. Sometimes they do this because they don't know Jesus at all. Or maybe they've never really learned about what he taught or how he intends for us to live. The point for us is this, expect opposition. Jesus promised that we would get it, and we will, and we do. When we understand that, when it happens, and we're tempted to say, God, why are you letting them get away with that? Remember what they did to Jesus. And do you remember how that the suffering of Jesus Christ had an overruling purpose? No doubt the devil thought when he had nailed Jesus to a tree and was watching him bleed to death, being tortured to death on that bloody cross, he thought he had won the victory. He had not. That death was his ultimate defeat. And it still is today. Sometimes the persecution that God allows in your life and mine, the difficulties that God allows in our lives as a people of God, accomplishes His greater purpose as He turns it back to His glory. He's done it again and again and again. You want an example? Now think about the time that the first Christian martyr died, a guy by the name of Stephen. Think about the guy who was killed in him, oversaw it. It was a guy named Saul. He never got past it until he got saved. And oh, what a victory God won with the salvation of Saul and how he used him so mightily to advance his cause. So, number one, expect opposition. Second thing that Jesus wrote to us about so that we would not be offended, John chapter 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he's come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The second thing to remember when we're tempted to be offended or when we are offended by God, God always knows best. God always, always, always knows best. We might as well all fess up just a little bit this morning. We've all had an argument or two with God. Been some times that things have happened that you and I have thought, you know, if I was running this show, it'd be different. God always knows best. You see, the disciples were burdened because Jesus was talking about going away, and he was going to uh, go away first initially. He told them, where I'm going, you can't come. And he was talking about the cross. He was talking about the grave and how that he was going to die, be buried, and rise again, and then triumphantly return to the Father. He was indeed going away. They were troubled, though, regardless of the circumstances, by Jesus' departure. But he assures them that what he was doing was better than if he would have stayed behind. Because he said, if I stayed here, uh, then the, the Comforter would not come. The Holy Spirit would not come in his New Testament role, where he would be not just with us as they had been in the past, but he would be in us and living inside of us. And this is going to be better, and it's better for you. 
You see, when Jesus took on a human body, he was limited being in one place at a time. Uh, that is a limitation he took upon himself by taking on a human physical form. And, I don't, and I've, I've said it a lot. You know, I don't know what all the other churches in the country would do this morning if there was only one Jesus because Jesus is going to be a faith Baptist. I don't know what all you're going to do when you need to talk to Jesus because Jesus is going to be at my house. You know, Jesus can only be at one place at a time, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit, then he is omnipresent. He can be in you and you and you and you and me and in this church and in churches all over the country. Uh, it is better, Jesus said, that I go away. It is better for you that I go away. And no matter how much it was burdening them, no matter how much it was bothering them, the fact is God knew best. And what he had planned for us was and is best. Jesus said, oh, there's so many more things that I could tell you. The disciples, though, had such a limited vision and limited understanding. He said, there's things I would love to tell you, but you can't receive them now. But the Holy Spirit would reveal them to them later, and he would. I can't help but wonder how many times we're down here asking God why. When he's up there saying, I have a lot to tell you, but you couldn't understand it now if I did tell you. Which brings us to the third part. We've got to trust the Holy Spirit and his word. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. When you have the Bible in your hand, you have the very word of Jesus Christ. It has been preserved throughout all these many centuries, revealed to us by these very apostles that Jesus was speaking to in John chapter 16. The Holy Spirit has that book. He has written that book. He is the divine author of it. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if you will ask Him, He will guide you into all truth. And He will bring people into your life that can help you. The Word of God, you see, has the answer. And when we are needing to be guided by God, when we need understanding, then we have a problem that the Word has the answer. Maybe you need help finding it, and if so, don't be afraid to ask. Remember, this is John the Baptist here. John the Baptist. And what did he do? He took his question to Jesus, and Jesus answered it. Don't be afraid. Maybe you've been praying and you've been reading your Bible. You've got a problem, you just can't figure it out. Don't be afraid to ask somebody else. I tell you, preachers love questions. I love them. Other people, your Sunday school teachers, other Christian people would love to be able to help you find what the Word of God has to say about your particular problem. But ultimately, we claim the promise of James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. When we ask God for wisdom and we say, God, I don't understand, God is never going to say, you big dummy. You big old dummy. Now, when we ask God for wisdom, he does not rebuke us. He does not reproach us. Just like Jesus didn't do that to John the Baptist, God doesn't do it to us either. Take your problem to Jesus. Lastly, 
We need to learn to live in the little while. Live in the little while. John chapter 16, verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And he said unto you, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say to you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Every now and then, you and I need to remind ourselves that we're living in the little while. Now, I guess that means so much to me because that was one of my parents' favorite thing to say to me when I was growing up. How long is it going to take us to get there? Well, it'll be there just a little while. Well, when are we going to go to the hill? Well, just a little while. I heard that all my life. And all my life growing up, I figured out real quickly that my mom and daddy's little while was not the same as my little while. Imagine what it's like then for Jesus Christ to be saying to his disciples, listen, just a little while and you're not going to see me and the world is going to rejoice and you're going to be sorry. But then just a little while and you will see me and your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're living in that little while right now. It's been a little while ever since Jesus left. <laughs> You say, well, his little while is not mine. You're exactly right. His little while has outlived a whole lot of his children down through all these many centuries. And it may outlive me and you too. You know, James taught us that our life is like a vapor of smoke that appears for a moment and it's gone. No teenager believes that. Your life is crawling along. I remember how long it took to get to be 16 years old and get that magnificent little card called a driver's license. I, I didn't think I'd ever get there. I didn't think I'd ever be 18. Didn't think I'd ever be 21. And finally an adult and able to make my own choices. My, Nancy and I were married at 19. My mom and daddy had to sign for me to get married because back then you couldn't, now, she could get married. It's kind of funny how that was. Women were considered legal adults at 18, but men were not considered legal adults until 21. My mom and dad had to sign for me to get married. I couldn't wait to be 21, so I didn't have that hanging over me anymore. I didn't have to wait till I got 60. I can't wait to be 60. Oh, I tell you, it just slams into you, whether you're looking for it or not. Bam, there it is. Boom. 50 hit me the same way. Boom. I just, you want to see that again? Boom. Life passes that way. They say that time flies when you're having fun. Time flies. Fun or not. Only one life, so soon it will pass. We're living in the little while. And the time from our birthday to the time we leave this world is a short, short time. But for the child of God, you see, our, our sorrow turns into joy because we get the joy of eternity with God. 
We get the joy of eternity with God's people. God's forever promise then helps us keep this life in perspective. We are living in a little while. There'll be a time, young people, when something will happen to you or something will be said to you by some of your friends or schools and you think you'll never get over it. You will. You think you'll never get past this. You will. You'll wonder whether you can live through it. You can. And that's not only true of young people. It's true of older people as well. There are times, if we're not careful... When we can get so bogged down with the circumstance, with life that's not going the way that it should go, when the blessings aren't coming the way we expected, when the difficulties aren't going away the way we had hoped for, don't get on the sideline. Don't take yourself out of the game. Don't quit. Don't be offended. You're living in the little while. You're living in the little while. And your sorrow, whatever it is, is going to be turned into joy. I write these things, Jesus said, so that you will not be offended. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Expect opposition. God always knows best. Trust the Spirit and His Word. Live in the little while. Don't take yourself out of the game, brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. This is how. Let's stand together, please.